Are you back? Oh, Dr. Watson, you're back. Thank heavens for that. I wonder if I heard the footsteps on the stairs, if it's part of an Eden. Oh, Mrs. Hudson, do you... Do you mean that he isn't home yet? No, no, not for four days and four nights he hasn't been here. Oh, Doctor, I'm that worried about him. What could have happened? No, 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 Mrs. Hudson. You know what Holmes is like. He's often disappeared for days at a time. Oh, it's, uh, uh, it's due to his work. It's customary. He'll turn up soon, so don't worry. Ah, is, uh, supper ready? Yes, yes, it's been ready since eight. But you know, this time I'm really worried about Mr. Holmes. I'm really worried about him. I'm worried sick and... Yes. Yes, well, this time, I'm worried, too. We present... The Stories of Sherlock Holmes. Tonight, The Rubber-Faced Man. accustomed to Sherlock Holmes' sudden disappearances. I knew he had many private hideaways in various parts of London, rooms and lodging houses where he could assume another name and identity. A master of disguise, he could mix with any class from the lowest beggar to the highest in society. Always, of course, it was connected with his work. And regarding his current case, he was very secretive. I told myself I should hear in due course and tried not to worry, but there was a nagging doubt in my mind that all was not as it should be. And so, later that night, when I heard a commotion upon the stairs, I naturally thought Holmes had returned, I'm but... I'm so sorry to burst in like this, Dr. Watson, but Amy Castle is here and she says she must see Oh, yes, yes, of course. I must apologize for calling like this, Doctor, but I am in very serious trouble. No, that's all right, Amy. Come in and uh, uh, that'll be all, Mrs. Hudson. Thank oh, you. Oh, yes, sir. Right now, come and sit down by the fire. Now, uh, tell me what's troubling you, Amy. That husband of yours again? That's right, Doctor. It's the old business, the smoking. You've tried to get him to break the habit many times, but, well, it's the opium. Hugo's been away for over two days now. Well, you know what it's like. He can't keep away from the stuff. Of course, I've been making the usual inquiries, and I have tracked him. Well, uh, where is he? Well, he's in an opium den called uh. the Green Pagoda hmm. in Upper Julia Street. You know the road that runs parallel to the river off Bell Lane. I want to go and get him out, but I daren't, not on my own. So I thought, well, if you came with me as his physician, you could get in there and talk some sense into him. Well, I'll come with you if you like. Well, I don't think that could serve any useful purpose, Amy. It would only distress you. I'll order a hansom and get over there straight away. Now, you go home and wait. I'll find Hugo for you, so don't worry. Hugo Castle had always been a problem patient. Like thousands of others in London, he was a constant visitor to the opium dens that clustered around the dock area. The Green Pagoda was one of the more respectable of these houses of iniquity. Near the river to the east of London Bridge, it had a single door opening off a narrow alley. 
I entered, and by the low flickering of the oil lamps set against the damp stone walls, made my way into a low, long room filled with thick brown opium smoke. Wooden berths like those in an ancient galley lined the walls. Faint sounds of eastern music came from the gin shop beyond the bead curtains, but no one listened. Groups of huddled creatures bent over red circles of light where the burning poison waxed and waned in metal bowls. Most men lay silent. Some were groaning or whispering, mumbling their own distorted thoughts aloud. As I entered, a sallow oriental slipped from the shadows to offer the customary pipe. Evening, my sir. Comfortable bed, very good pipe. Long sleep and good dreams. This way. Uh, thank you. No, I, I'm not here for that. I seek a friend. He's around here somewhere. Would you allow me to look and... Uh, uh, yes. Yes, he is. Yes, I, I think that's him. Uh, ah, Hugo! Hugo! Hugo Castle! Uh, Dr. Watson, it is Watson, isn't it? Uh, Watson, my good fellow, what is it? What time is it? It's nearly 11 at night. 11? I must go home. Go home, I've been here all evening. You've been here some two days. Uh, Pull yourself together, man. It's Friday, October the 19th. It it can't be. I I thought it it was Wednesday. It's a... Well, you're trying to you're trying to frighten me, muddle my thoughts. Well, they couldn't be more muddled than this foul stuff has made them. Right, now look, I have a cab waiting, so come along. Let me get you out. I only had one pipe, just just one or two at the most. Right, well, come along. I'll pay for you, and you'll feel better in the fresh night air. Oh, give me money? Money? No, not for you, poor wretch that you are. I cannot help everyone. Shh, softly, Bottom. Oh, hush, hush. You'll spoil everything. Keep our voice down. What is it? Look, I'll explain on my way home. I'll pay for that poor castle creature and get him into a cab. Send him packing and wait for me on the corner. I shall be for ten minutes. Hurry, Watson. Hurry. I did as Holmes requested. Hugo Castle made no protest as I bundled him into a cab and paying the driver gave Hugo's home address. I was confident that Amy Castle would take good care of him, and once he'd recovered, give him a sound talking to. I would call in the morning and do my best to make him break the pernicious habit. Meanwhile, I waited on the corner. Holmes arrived, still dressed in beggar's rags, and joined me in another hansom. As we clattered our way homeward, Holmes said with a chuckle, (laughs) You could have seen your face in the lamplight, Watson. I suppose you think I've added opium smoking to the long list of my other vices, well, I... I assure you that, like you, I was visiting the Green Pagoda in order to find someone. You found Hugo Castle. I, unfortunately, not found the man I was after. May I ask who you were looking for? A man called Maynard Burley. He came to live in London several years ago. He led a checkered, colourful existence, having been an actor, a seaman, and a tobacco importer. He bought a house, married a local lass, and settled down in Islington. He was happy with his wife and a young son. Recently, he's had no set occupation, but has interests in several concerns of the city. He travels to town every morning by train, returning to Shoreditch Station by the 5.15 each night. Last Monday, Maynard Burley left the house earlier than usual. His wife, Sarah, remembers it very well. I'm going now, Sarah. Maynard, dear, it's long before your usual time. Uh, yes, yes, uh, there are several things I wish to do before reaching the office. I want to do some shopping. 
I bring home a set of soldiers for the boys. Oh, Raymond will love that. He's been asking for those for weeks. Have a good day, dear. And you. Don't work too hard in the house. I, I expect to be back at the usual time. Goodbye, dear. Goodbye. Now, shortly after her husband had left that morning, Sarah Burley received a telegram saying that a parcel of considerable value that she'd been expecting from her family in Australia had arrived at the offices of the Tower Shipping Company. So, after lunch, she went to the city. She did some shopping and collected the parcel. Walking back to the station, she crossed Bell Lane. And at the corner of Julia Street, looked around, hoping for a vacant cab. She waited and looked up at the opposite building. To her horror, she saw at a high barred window the face of her husband staring down at her. She couldn't believe her eyes. to enter the building. She couldn't, because as you may have guessed, the room she wanted was above the green pagoda building that we've just left. Eventually, she appealed to the police, and a sergeant from Tower Hill Station accompanied her back to the building. She identified the room, and as they climbed the stairs... I know I'm not mistaken, Sergeant. It was my husband, all right. I saw him quite clearly. He had his hands up to his face. He could have been pleading with me for help. He looked so ill... And he covered his face with his hands. He is in here. I know he is. Well, this must be the room. But it's empty. No one here. But that was the window. Those long, dirty curtains. He, he must have been standing here and looking down. And... Wait. What's this? A box. It's a box of toy soldiers. The present he was going to buy for little Raymond. What is through there? Uh, let's see. Another room. And a window that looks out over the parapet and onto the river. Wait. Wait, there's blood on the windowsill. Fresh oh, blood. No. Look, there in the corner, the, the chair. Those clothes. When I saw him at the window, he was wearing a shirt, but no tie. But these are his clothes. The clothes he was wearing when he left this morning. I know they are. Uh, leave this to me, Mrs. Burley. I'm convinced there's something really wrong here. I'll go and question other folk who may be living on this floor. You stay here with uh, uh, the clothes. Uh, I'll certainly get you out of this place as soon as I can. No place for a lady of breathing. Oh, and, uh... Oh, what have we here? What are you doing, sleeping on the stairs? I, I ain't doing no harm. Just leave me be. Uh, you've been here quite a while. Have you seen anyone come down this way, from the rooms above? No, no, no one at all. Wait a minute, I know you. Mike the peddler. Beg on the streets. Pretend to sell matches, but you're a beggar, aren't you? Work a beat from here to Threadneedle Street. Have you been upstairs? No. No, I swear I haven't. I don't know nothing. No. Come on. Up you get. Uh, uh, what's this? Huh? Blood. Blood all over the cuffs of your shirt. Well, you've got a lot to answer for, Mike Beale. Come on. Come along with me. And only this evening I have learned from men in the Green Pagoda that Maynard Burley's overcoat has been found in the Thames. 
I'm afraid it's a case of murder. I feel I've failed, Watson. What am I to tell that poor woman? It was late when we got back to Baker Street, and I went straight to bed. The lights remained on in Holmes' room, and I knew he was far from satisfied with the way things had worked out. Over breakfast the next morning, he seemed morose and disinclined to talk. We'd finished breakfast, and we're lighting our first pipes of the day when Mrs. Hudson bustled in. I've come to clear away, but there's a lady waiting on the landing, and Mrs. Burley, she says it's urgent. Well, then show her in, Mrs. Hudson, show her in. Uh, leave the dishes, you can fetch them later. Just as you say. Um, it's through here, please, Mum. I'm sorry to arrive so early, Mr. Holmes, but I had to speak to you. That's quite all right, Mrs. Burley. Please do sit down. Uh, some coffee? Oh, I don't think you know my friend and colleague, Dr. John Watson. How do you do, Doctor? No, I, I won't have any coffee, thank you. I suppose you've heard the news. They found your husband's overcoat in the river. The police have it now. You may be required to identify it. Strangely enough, the pockets were filled with odd coins. Loose change, mostly pennies. It looks very serious, I'm afraid. You think that Maynard was attacked by that peddler named Mike... Or some other thugs and his body thrown into the tent. I'm afraid it is more than likely. But you appear unafraid. Mr. Holmes, Maynard is alive. I know he is. You see, I've just received a letter from him. You have? You brought it with you? Yes, here it is. Ah. Now, let us see. Now, the handwriting on the envelope is not the same as the note it contains. No, but the note is in Maynard's handwriting. Yes. My dearest Sarah, please not despair. I'm alive and will make sure all ends well. There has been a grave mistake. It may take time to correct. Please have patience, my darling Maynard. Hmm? It is Maynard's handwriting. I, I'd know it anywhere. It's written in pencil on the flyleaf, torn from a book. Uh, the envelope. It seems that the person who wrote it wasn't sure of the address. The name has been blotted first and the address added later. It was posted in Gravesend by a man with dirty hands and the gum flap smeared by someone who chews tobacco. Yes, your husband gave the note for someone else to address and post him. There's something else contained in this envelope, wasn't there? I can tell by the imprint of a circle of creases on the paper. You're very observant, Mr. Holmes. Yes, there was a ring. Signet ring. I have it here. It's Maynard. Ah. Then we must accept the fact that this message is genuine. But if your husband is alive and well and able to write to you, why does he not return home? I cannot answer that. He must have some unfinished business that he... Has to attend to. Either that or he can't return. He's incapable of doing so. Now, let me refresh my memory. To start with, your husband did not at any time show signs of taking opium? No, never. He hardly smoked tobacco and rarely drank spirits. When you saw him at the upper window of the Green Pagoda, the window was open. He made some sort of gesture with his hands. Yes, he gave a hoarse sort of cry and his hands flew up to his face. I'm sure he was signaling for help. Although it could have been a cry of surprise. Astonishment at seeing you. It might have been, yes, but it was over so quickly. He disappeared immediately. Ah. He is alive, and yet his overcoat has been found in the river. The pockets filled with pennies and small coins. Strange. Very strange. Uh, well, Mrs. Burley, will you consider leaving this note with me? Uh, take the signet ring, of course. But leave the note and future investigations in my hands. I will communicate with you later in the day with, I hope, encouraging news. Just as you say, Mr. Holmes... But now I know that Maynard is alive, all I want is that he should be found. Please find him, Mr. Holmes. Please find my husband. I went about my day's tasks and for a few hours forgot the case of the missing man from the Green Pagoda. When I returned in the early evening, I found Holmes pacing the room impatiently. He was fully dressed with hat and Inverness cape 
An empty pipe clenched between his teeth. Ah, ah Watson, good, you're back. I've been waiting for you. Uh, do you think you could forego supper until a little later? I've work to do, and I'm not sure I wish to tackle it alone. Yes, if you need my assistance, then you've only to ask, Holmes. Ah, that I know, my dear fellow. Here, a small brandy to fortify you for the night's work. Uh, ah? Thank you. That'll be most welcome. Uh, I take it, then, that you've made some progress. Indeed, yes, I think so. I have a handsome waiting at the corner cabby rank. I must now put to test a little experiment. I think I behave like a blind fool, Watson. I deserve to be kicked from here to Charing Cross. I think I have the key to the whole affair. How many times have I told you that when all possible solutions are met with failure, what is left over must provide the answer? Oh, I've been as blind as a mole. Well, it's better to learn wisdom late than never to learn it at all. Come, Watson, finish that drink and let's be on our way. Hurry, man, hurry. <laughs> Within minutes, we were in a cab and pounding our way across London. The horse buses were filled with folk on their way home. The shopkeepers were about to put up their shutters. The gas lamps glowed at every street corner. And Holmes muttered angrily at the slow progress we were making. I could tell from the direction we were taking that Holmes was playing the game by the correct rules. We were heading for Tower Bridge and the police station. Sergeant Bennett who'd been with Mrs. Burley on the Monday's raid on the opium den, was on duty. Uh, evening, Mr. Holmes. Well, what can I do for you? I've called about Mike Beale, the beggar who was questioned regarding the disappearance of Maynard Burley. Have you heard him for questioning? He's about to be remanded on a full charge. At the moment, we know he's still in his room above the Green Pagoda. The place has been closed down. It's under surveillance night and day. No one allowed in or out. I see. So Mike the Peddler is virtually a prisoner in that place? Oh, put it that way if you wish. Of course, there's no way we could forcibly hold him. But he knows if he as much as puts his nose out in the street, we shall grab him on some charge or other. Can't let him slip through our fingers. No, no, of course not. If he left that place, he could vanish in a couple of minutes into the dock area on a ship and out of the country in 24 hours. That's why we've got him shut up in there, pending further evidence. Once we find the body of Maynard Burley, we'll slap a murder charge across Mike Bill quicker than lightning. Mm. Well, you may be bending the law a little, Sergeant, but I'm very grateful for it. Yes, I suspected as much. That's why I'm here. You see, I want to ask Mike the Peddler a few questions. I knew I should be unable to get in to see him without you. Uh, can you arrange to have Watson and me let into that building? Oh, I'll do better than that, Mr. Holmes. I'll come along with you. There, Constable. I'm off on the Burley case. Expect me when you go off duty. Come on, Mr. Holmes. I'll have the station wagon get us there right away. short ride this time. Within a matter of minutes, we grew up outside the dark alley that led to the Green Pagoda. This time, more was still. There was just the music wafting in from the gin shop next door. But the opium den was deserted. It still smelt of smoke and filth. By the light of a lantern, the sergeant showed us the way through and up the stairs to the sleazy rooms above. Uh, he's got to be in here. Can't have left. Mind you, I doubt if we'll be able to get much sense out of him. He just mutters into that filthy grey beard of his. What was his explanation regarding the blood on his shirt cuffs? Well, he said he'd fallen and cut his wrist on a bit of broken glass. The funny thing is, he did have a nasty cut. Didn't go into details. <laughs> he couldn't. He was too drunk to talk much. Of course, he has had time to sober up, being in here all alone. That's mm. unless he's got a real good supply hidden away. Oh, right, this should be where we'll find him. 
The second door on the right. In here. The sergeant held the lantern high above his head as he entered the room. It was empty, but for a trestle bed and a table in the far corner. On the bed, covered by a single blanket, was the man we wanted. He was asleep, his face towards us. An uglier man I've seldom seen. His face seemed bloated, yet crustaceous, and of an unreal pallor. I'm a medical man, not easily shocked, but I was repelled by this sight. Holmes, on the other hand, seemed totally unaffected, but whispered to me urgently. Don't wake him. Just move close enough to hold him fast. When I tell you, seize his arms. Use all your strength. He's going to put up a devil of a struggle. Wait. Right. What now? What the hell? Hold him off me. Let me go. Now, let me get him. Yes, I've got to show you his real face. Hold on. Hold on. It's coming away. No! His whole face is coming away. It's peeling uh, off like a bark uh, of a tree. Yes, and the grey hair, too. Off with that. Come on. Uh, Light the lamp on the table, Sergeant, and ask this man that question. All right, you may get up now, Mr. Maynard Burley. What the devil is All right. I give in. What am I charged with now? You. You really are, Mr. Maynard Burley. If I am, then clearly I cannot be responsible for my own death. So legally, I must be allowed to leave. You may not have committed a major crime, Burley, but you've caused a grave disruption of the public peace. You've disgraced yourself. Above all, you've let your wife down most dreadfully. If you feel anything for her and your son, then now is the time to make amends. Well, it was... It was something I drifted into. And once in, I couldn't see a way out. You see, in my youth, I'd been on the stage, and when things became difficult, I... I thought I'd turn to writing. I wrote a series of articles or what it was like to be a beggar of the streets. In order to find out by first-hand knowledge, I became a beggar. I used a rubber mask, a, a different whining voice, and I got all the information I needed. I wrote the articles, and they were a success. Then times changed. I found I could make more money as a beggar than I could as an honest journalist. I could make over a pound a day by whining and begging. I still had a little money from my investments, but regular employment seemed to evade me. I took to begging as Mike Beale as a profession. I left our modest home in Islington each morning, well-dressed for the city. I begged all day and changed back into my city clothes in the, in the late afternoon. I rented these rooms above the Green Pagoda for changing purposes. I imagine my horror when I looked out of the window last Monday and saw my wife in the street below. I rushed into the room, threw my overcoat with the day's takings into the river. As I did so, I, I cut my wrist on the broken window pane. There was blood everywhere. I donned my rubber mask and hurried to the room below, pretending a drunken sleep. I assumed the identity of Mike Beale. I've had to do it ever since. I've been waiting for the chance to, to slip away, go back to Sarah and my young son. Yes, you were worried about them. That's why you arranged to send your wife that note and your signet ring, posted by one of the inmates of the Green Pagoda before it was closed down. As well, Mr. Burley, it seems to me that you have a great steel upon your conscience. You obviously cannot be held for the murder of Maynard Burley, but oh, how you'll be able to face up to your wife again is something I shall never know. Holmes looked at the sergeant, who appeared completely baffled. The sergeant shrugged his shoulders and 
indicated that he didn't know what line of action to take. It was Holmes who took the initiative. If the police managed to hush this up, Burley, well, there must be an end to this. No more begging, no more Mike Beale. I swear by the most solemn oath that it shall be so. Then I think you should tell your wife everything. If she is the lady I think she is, then she will find it in her heart to forgive you. I promise you that we shall be silent. The rest is up to you. Well, now, Watson, how about that supper waiting for you back at Baker Street? Shall we get back to it straight away? Listen again next Sunday to The Stories of Sherlock Holmes with Graham Armitage's Holmes and Kerry Jordan as Dr. Watson. Thank you.